1: Well, hello there and welcome to the show. Welcome to the place where we revel in wrong think. I'm actually considering maybe a couple of other, uh, you know, little slogans. But then again, you know, slogans are easy to chant. You know what isn't so easy? Apprehending and living principles and practices that are consistent with being free people. That's actually pretty tough, it turns out. A lot of people would rather, I'm going to chad some bumper sticker slogans and, you know, it's going to make me free. Well, with a little bit of work on your part, maybe. But those slogans by themselves, yeah, not going to happen. Nonetheless, our slogan is Revel in Wrong Think. That's exactly what I intend to do. I thank you for being part of my growing audience of wrong thinkers. And a special thanks to our sponsors, including Landmark Risk Management and Insurance, as well as Monticello College and Rio del Sion Lots. Got some great contact information right there in the show notes, which you can find every time I publish a new episode, up go the show notes at the Brian And today's notes will be the notes for February 10th of 2021. So with all the uh, conflict swirling around us, all the turmoil, all of the unrest, all the distrust and the uh, unease probably left a few things out there, but you get the idea. These are not uh, well-settled times where everybody's getting along and pretty much dancing arm-in-arm in the streets with each other. It's almost understandable how some people can become jaded. But then I read stories like the one that I saw on lewrockwell.com earlier today, No Good Deed Goes Unpunished, and I think, I don't know what to say. Is this really where we're headed? Now, the the story is about an L.A. Times pundit who compared her Trump-supporting neighbors who plowed her driveway to Nazis. Oh, I know. Where's the punchline? Nope, there's, there's no punchline. There's just legitimately a, a woman whose driveway was cleared of snow by some neighbors who happened to have Trump supporters in their family has repaid this favor that they did her by writing an op-ed in which she notes well you know even the nazis were occasionally impolite impolite or polite rather and this has caused uh, social media to implode i'm just trying to get my mind around the mindset that a person would have to have to to be actively looking for a reason to think the absolute worst about people in a piece titled Uh, This is a Los Angeles Times piece titled, What Can You Do About the Trumpites Next Door? A writer by the name of Virginia Heffernan relayed the mixed emotions she felt after her neighbors did a great job plowing the driveway of her upstate New York pandemic getaway second home without even being asked. The free snow removal apparently triggered a crisis in propriety because the kind-hearted volunteer plower belongs to a family of Trump supporters and apparently Heffernan didn't know whether to thank them or write an accusatory op-ed about them. Well, clearly, she chose the latter. Describing the selfless jester as an act of aggressive niceness, <laughs> the Brooklyn-based author said, the gesture was comparable to the acts of charity carried out by Hezbollah. Quote, they offer protection and hospitality and win loyalty that way, and they also demand devotion to their brutal us-versus-them anti-Sunni cause, she wrote referring to the Islamic militant and political group not to be confused with her next-door neighbor who cleared her driveway of snow for free. But Heffernan had more bizarre analogies up her sleeve. According to the writer, uh, being nice is a time-honored tactic of all sorts of evil regimes, such as Nazi-occupied France. In her piece, she recalled living with a family in France who described the administration of Vichy France as being polite, and then she ended her thought piece by observing that loving your neighbor is evidently much easier when your neighborhood is full of people just like you. She added that she was open to working shoulder to shoulder with her neighbors, but only when they acknowledged the damage caused by the last four years under Trump. Wow. That's, that is a degree of one-dimensional thinking that uh, I, I don't even know. How do you counter something like that? Now, the op-ed didn't sit well with a lot of political pundits. Uh, former, Fox and MSA, or former Fox and NBC host Megan Kelly uh, wrote in response to the incendiary op-ed, This woman compares her Trump-supporting neighbors who plowed her driveway to Nazi sympathizers in Hezbollah and wrestles with whether to show them any kindness since she can't give them absolution. Note to Virginia Heffernan's neighbors, don't plow again. Now, her comment opened the floodgates to similar remarks expressing disbelief and disgust. Katie Herzog, a popular podcaster, said it's like people don't realize that genuine human connection is, in fact, the best way to change hearts and minds. Another commenter said the op-ed was shameful. It serves as an example of how no good deed goes unpunished. Others pointed out uh, the ironic aspects of the piece, observing how Heffernan was judging people different from herself based on her belief That they treat people who are not like them differently. Still, there are those who argued that Heffernan was right to object, arguing that the idiocy of Trump supporters doesn't excuse their acts of kindness. On her Twitter page, apparently the writer pushed back against those who said she should be more grateful, noting, Well, my driveway's short, while admitting that the free plow was a legit favor. Now, according to this article on LouRockwell.com, left-leaning pundits have been scrambling to demonize Trump and his supporters following the Capitol riot on January 6th, which has been attributed to several deaths. Since then, Trump supporters have been labeled as white supremacists and domestic insurgents, with terms such as multiracial whiteness being invented to explain the former president's popularity among minorities. So I have to ask this in, in all honesty— is that how you judge the people around you on, well, uh, I don't know, you, did you vote for Trump or did I see a Black Lives Matter sticker on your car, a flag flying on your flagpole? And that is, in a nutshell, why I despise partisan politics and, and steer clear of them, except to the extent that I can, can be involved to use my influence to try to promote good government wherever possible. Which means I'm very, very limited. Like I go to my neighborhood caucuses. I've, I've served at the neighborhood, the, the county, uh, the, the state level as a delegate. But I really dislike partisan politics because I think it encourages this kind of thinking. Well, I know you support this candidate or you support this party, and we stop seeing each other as, as people. We just, you know, this is, this is the, this is the great danger of collectivist thinking and once it's combined with any sense of power it becomes so much easier to stop seeing people as people and see them as objects or masses but the bottom line is they they don't matter they're just they're they're a commodity to be managed and i think to myself no i don't want to be a part of that so here's 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 uncle brian's advice it's worth exactly what you paid for it but uh, my my best advice is if you're going to err on the side of uh, you know what's what's the right thing to do, try to be like this woman's neighbors who saw a need, realized hey, she could really use some help getting her driveway cleared and did it and didn't stick around waiting for handshakes and backslaps and accolades and you know anybody going to call the local paper out There's a pretty big story. We cleared your driveway right for free no they did it they did it out of charity out of uh, i think Genuine regard for their neighbor, whether they you know, think she's a nut because she writes for the L.A. Times or not, I don't know. I don't know what their thoughts are. But by their actions, I can see pretty clearly that they see her as a person more so than just a political ideology in human form. So my advice is be like them. And don't worry about qualifying people and, well, do they deserve this or not? I think if we all looked really closely at our own lives, we would probably come to the conclusion there are a lot of good things that happen to us and a lot of kindnesses that are extended to us that we don't necessarily deserve. But we should be grateful for them, and furthermore, we should use them as an excuse to to further pay those kindnesses along to others who need it. Now, what if they reward me by writing, a, you know, op-ed saying, well, gee, my Nazi neighbors, you know, I, they did something nice for me, but I still kind of hate them. What should I do? All I can say is take that kind of misunderstanding in, in good spirit and, and understand that, uh, yeah, some people are, are very, uh, they're very one-dimensional in their thinking right now. And rather than trying to fix them, trying to insist, well, you have to change everything about the way you see the world. Just continue to live as proof that not everybody is that limited in their thinking. Doesn't matter whether they thank you or whether they, you know, give you recognition. Doing the right thing is still the right thing to do, whether anybody notices or not.
0: This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there, and
1: welcome back to the show. Just a quick shout out to Landmark Risk Management and Insurance. If you are a business owner, if you if you have need for commercial insurance, I don't have to tell you, that's a subject that can get complicated quickly. But I want you to remember the name Landmark Risk Management and Insurance because if you find yourself getting stuck or even if you just have some questions and you're like, I... You know, there's a lot to, to comprehend here. These are the people you need to be talking to. This is a very seasoned and experienced team of professionals who can help you get all the answers that you need. And if it turns out there are some places you need to shore up, they can help you with that as well. You'll find the contact information in my show notes at com. And again, these are show notes for February 10th. By the way, I'm going to throw this out there just because it is my big sister's birthday today. So, Tammy, happy birthday to you. You made it another circuit around the sun, and, uh, and I hope it's a happy day for you. I don't think she listens to my podcast or my broadcast, but I'm putting it out there because she's an awesome sister. So, some of the longest faces I've seen within recent memory have been the faces of people who have been trying to purchase an item that is in short supply. Now, in this case, it's usually people who've been trying to find ammo. And uh, <laughs> good luck, it, whether it's ammo or whether it's reloading components, uh, there is uh, there's a very definite shortage. And when people are able to find ammo, I, I hear some of the you know usual complaints. And look, if, I, I would probably be saying the same thing if I was looking at a box of 3030 30 rounds and going two bucks a pop, two bucks a shell. A simple 20 round box of 3030, 30 which normally you'd pick up for, I don't know, 10 or 12 bucks, you know, from, from a sporting goods store. Now going for 40, 50 bucks or more if you can find it. And the term that keeps coming up is, hey, we're being price gouged. In fact, you hear that term a lot. Whenever there's a natural disaster, right, and there's a shortage of fresh drinking water like bottled water or a shortage of generators or ladders or plywood or anything like that, when people are able to find those commodities, when the demand is super high, the price is always going to reflect that this is, this is really in demand, And people get upset. I don't want to be price gouged. And sometimes they'll go to their government and tell you need to stop people from price gouging it. And some well-meaning localities as well as states have stepped in and said, Well, if you see somebody price gouging, you let us know. And we're gonna we're gonna put an end to it. I've suggested this before. What if price gouging actually was a good thing? I know it's very counterintuitive, and in fact the first time I heard it, I was like, no, that can't be. That's people being greedy. That's people taking advantage. But you have to look a little bit deeper than just the superficial, hey, that's more than I wanted to pay for something. John Sanders, writing for the American Institute for Economic Research, has an article called Price Gouged and Happy About It. I thought this was a really good example of why price gouging isn't the negative that we're told that it is. He says, we lost a longtime family friend last month, our trusty can of Lysol, the one that's helped keep us safe for years amidst stomach bugs and flus and seasonal cruds, breathed its last. Amid the worst of the COVID surge, the timing couldn't be worse. Not a problem, he says. We can get another one the next time we go shopping. Except we couldn't. After repeated trips to several different stores, he said I had to face defeat. I live in an area with a shortage of disinfectant spray. Now, happily, he says, I was able to procure some. I went to an online marketplace. There, the prices for Lysol were... Much higher. A $6.99 can was going for $15.50 and up, depending on the seller. Double packs were selling for $25 instead of 12 <clears throat> and he says, I realized that those were market rates for Lysol during a pandemic. The online marketplace was fully stocked, however, whereas, he says, my local stores weren't, even though their prices were unchanged. So you can have nothing at the regular price. or you can actually get what you need, but have to pay a higher price. Now, in this case, John Sanders is is trying to to make the point here that there are other considerations and other costs than just monetary. He says, my search costs for Lysol turned out to be much higher than I expected, and were it not for the online marketplace, he says, I'd still be spending time making forays in the hopes of arriving shortly after the shelves were restocked. But how long, he asks, would I await shipment and who are those sellers? Well, fortunately, the online marketplace offers shipping information and seller ratings. So he says, I was able to get a new can in three days for $17.94 from a seller boasting all five-star ratings. Except from one critic who left the terrible rating of one star and this reason, this price is outrageous. This is definitely price gouging and should be reported to the proper authorities. I'm looking, but I'm not saying, I'm sure there's a harumph in there as well. And with that, he says, the critic has just inadvertently pointed out why there's a shortage of disinfectant spray here. John Sanders says, my state of North Carolina has been under an anti-price gouging law since March of 2020. People like the critic think it means my local retailer can't gouge me, exploit my needs, or take advantage of my desire for Lysol, toilet paper, and other necessities by overcharging me for those items. But he says what it really means is, I can't find what I need when it's in high demand, driven by, in this case, worries over a pandemic. Now, usually when the anti-price gouging law is activated, it's because of widespread storm damage, which makes it difficult and more expensive to ship necessary supplies in. The law ironically makes shortages more likely in two ways. First, by making it less profitable for suppliers to get necessities here and second, by prompting people to rush out and buy up, in other words, hoard, more of these necessities than they actually need on a first-come, first-served basis. He says, a quick lesson in the economics of pricing. When more people suddenly need a thing, that's demand, and the normal amount of the thing hasn't changed, that's supply, the market price should go up. Because that price increase tells people they might need to rethink exactly how much of the thing they need. It costs them more money, and it also tells suppliers they might need to rethink how much of the thing they want to bring in because they can make more money. If the price doesn't change, such as when government forbids it, and people and suppliers then don't get these signals, people buy up all that has been supplied, and boom, suddenly there's a shortage. He says, when the anti-price gouging law is in effect, being able to buy a necessity here is a matter of timing. Being on store premises at or shortly after a shipment arrives. Then you can buy it, and not even at the market price, but at the pre-emergency price enforced by government. Everyone else is out of luck. John Sanders says, in this situation, however, shipping hasn't been disrupted. So even though I was out of luck on store premises, I was in luck online. I was able to have disinfectant spray shipped to me directly at the market price. Now, the critic might not get it, but he says in in his case, he was very happy to be gouged, in quotation marks. He says, I have the disinfectant spray I need to help keep my family safe. I find this situation far preferable to seeing the correct price on an item that's made perpetually out of stock by a short-sighted law enforced against basic economics. He says, in that, I was in agreement with a five-star reviewer who said, happy to find a seller that had the products I needed and then promptly sh- shipped them. I don't know. I think that's a pretty good object lesson. And it's, it's still not going to convince everybody, especially if you're one of those people who's looking for whatever item happens to be in short supply. Again, I'm going to turn to ammo. If you're looking for ammo and you're saying, okay, I can find some, but it's really expensive. That's, uh, that is just basic economics at work. And I don't know, maybe maybe the person who's selling that box of 22 rounds, you know, for 20 bucks, for 50 rounds, maybe they're doing a happy dance on their way to the bank. I don't know. They could, you know, it's it's their life. Maybe that's how they celebrate. But when we don't allow those prices to go up, we allow shortages to be a an absolute guaranteed reality. Trust the market. Trust that the consumers... Are going, to, uh, are going to show what they want more of and what they're willing to pay more of. And guess what? Those higher prices mean that I'm going to think twice before I grab that box of ammo, and I'm probably going to leave it for somebody who really needs it. Just a thought.
0: This is The Brian Hyde Show. The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show.
1: I want to encourage you, take the time to visit my show notes page at thebrianhydeshow.com. Not only will you find a lot of great reading, I mean, I I find some really remarkable resources and I try to pass those along. Almost always, I will have more things that, uh, that will be included in the show notes than I have time to share on the actual broadcast or podcast itself. So it's, it's worth your time to, uh, to take a little closer look. And if you, I mean, this is, you know, if you're interested, not everybody's into reading and researching and, you know, pursuing the truth. Some people just want to be entertained. You might find some entertaining stuff there too. But if you're looking for a better understanding of the world around us, that's where you're going to find it. Lots and lots of great information. In fact, you'll also find a little special section there on my website called Resources for Wrong Thinkers. And, and if I can be really blunt... I encourage you to check these out, not because I think that they will give you the truth and uh, and the whole truth and nothing but the truth. I think they will give you a very um, good amount of information based upon which you can make up your own mind as to what what is right, what is real, and and what isn't. But the goal here is never to to build, you know, this, I, I need to build this massive following of followers who follow me and follow my thinking. no. I'm a subscriber to the idea that, uh, that real leadership doesn't create followers. It actually creates more leaders. And um, I mean this sincerely when I tell you. When the point comes that you look at me and you say, Brian, thank you for your help along my journey, but I have outgrown you and I have moved on to you know a higher level of understanding than what you can address. I'm just going to wish you the best of luck and feel a little, little beam of pride in my heart uh, for, for your journey. Because I'm totally okay with people outgrowing me and and moving on, um, the the point here is I don't I don't want people to follow me because it's not about me. The message here is free markets work, personal freedom works, freedom of conscience is essential. That's what I'm trying to get across, and frankly, that's not a message that's resounding with a lot of folks today. But for those who who are searching for it, here it is. I do my best to, to provide, you know, intellectual and moral ammunition uh, for those who are, are willing to, to stand up and, and, and embrace that mindset. By the way, have you noticed that uh, members of the political class right now seem particularly determined to show us and to remind us how much we need them? And I don't think I have ever seen it more clearly than in their attempts to impose government wage mandates that uh, purport to lift our standard of living. But when government steps in and substitutes its force or the, uh, the threat of force in its policies, instead of uh, letting the market allow those voluntary transactions to play out, it always leads to unintended consequences. And, and one of the big ones that we're going to see is in government wage mandates. Michael Tennant, writing for the Future of Freedom Foundation talks about this. He says, President Joe Biden is trying to get Congress to pass an increase in the federal minimum wage as part of a COVID-19 stimulus package. However, a recent experiment in mandating higher wages at the local level ought to make him think twice about doing so on a national basis. Some of you are going to recognize this. We talked about it last week. In January, the city of Long Beach, California, decided that grocery store employees deserved hazard pay for doing their jobs in the era of COVID-19 a virus with a survival rate of more than 99.7%. Mark Perrone, international president of the United Food and Commercial Commercial Workers Union, praised the move, saying city leaders stepped up to take care of these essential grocery workers and ensure they receive hazard pay for the danger they face. Now, did officials personally fork over the hazard pay when they stepped up to take care of the workers? Of course not. Michael Tenet points out they simply decreed that grocery stores with at least 300 workers nationwide and more than 15 employees within Long Beach pay an extra $4 an hour for a 120-day period. Now, this mandated wage increase, which the progressive Brookings Institution called a promising model for other local governments across the country to replicate and build on, came on top of a state minimum wage hike to $14 an hour. And soon after the law went into effect... Kroger, the nation's largest supermarket chain, announced that it was closing two of its Long Beach stores. A Kroger spokesperson told CBS, As a result of the City of Long Beach decision to pass an ordinance mandating extra pay, we have made the difficult decision to permanently close store locations in Long Beach. This misguided action by the Long Beach City Council oversteps traditional bargaining processes and applies only to some, but not all, grocery workers in the city. Now, Michael Tennant says, obviously, the stores, which were already struggling, could not stay afloat if they were forced to pay their employees an extra $4 an hour. So they're closing. Now, the essential workers in these stores will forfeit not only the hazard pay their generous benefactors on the city council voted them, but also the rest of their wages and benefits. The store's customers will also be harmed, possibly having to travel further and pay higher prices for groceries. Perone blasted Kroger's decision. Kroger closing these stores is truly outrageous conduct and a ruthless attempt to create a chilling effect that will discourage other cities from doing what is right and enacting hazard pay mandates that recognize the threat these workers face from COVID-19. There's a lot of anger in that, right? Michael Tenet points out what's outrageous and ruthless, though about Kroger's trying to keep its stores operating in the black under the terms of a contract to which both the company and the UFCW agreed, one that did not include this so-called hazard pay. Far more outrageous and ruthless is Long Beach's putting a gun to the head of Kroger's management and ordering them. You pay up or else. Now, Kroger Kroger also has a good reason to try to discourage other cities from following in Long Beach's footsteps because already two other California cities, Montebello and Los Angeles, have implemented similar measures, and another one, Pomona, is expected to consider one. A study commissioned by the California Grocers Association found that the Los Angeles ordinance would raise grocers' labor costs by about 28% and would be twice the size of the 2020 industry profit margin and three times the historical grocery profit margins. That's according to CBS Los Angeles. Such a move will undoubtedly cost jobs and lead to store closings. Now, if the grocers decide to pass along all the costs to consumers, those consumers will pay an extra $450 million a year for groceries. CGA President and CEO Ron Fong says extra pay mandates will have severe unintended consequences not only on grocers, but also on their workers and their customers. A 28% increase in labor costs is huge. Grocers will not be able to absorb those costs and negative repercussions are unavoidable. Similar negative repercussions will occur nationwide if Congress and the President increase the minimum wage. Those businesses that haven't already been destroyed by the lockdowns will be forced to take other unpleasant measures to remain afloat under this additional imposed cost. And John Tennant says some, if not all, will raise their prices. Others will lay off employees or cut their hours. Some, finding it impossible to turn a profit, will simply close up shop, putting all of their employees out of work. And who will be harmed the most by these measures? Why, the very people that Biden and his fellow Democrats claim to champion. A 2005 study published in the Journal of Human Resources concluded the net effect of of higher minimum wages is to increase the proportion of families that are poor and near poor. Did you catch that? The net effect of higher minimum wages is to increase the proportion of families that are poor and near poor. So if Biden really wants to help the poor... Tennant says he should oppose any attempt to raise the minimum wage and instead concentrate on reducing taxes and regulations that inhibit economic growth and discourage employers from hiring low-skilled workers. But since that would make people less dependent on government and therefore less likely to vote for politicians like Biden, he says don't expect him to take this advice. This is from Michael Tennant, who's a freelance writer, published on the uh, found the Future of Freedom Foundation, FFF.org. It's a remarkable organization, and I would encourage you, if you haven't already, subscribe. Get their get their daily emails. They send them out six days a week, and there are always about a dozen or so articles that uh, that cover a whole slew of different topics, everything from you know economics to uh, the the national security state to uh, you know culture to just flat out freedom. And it's a very principled approach, which is one of the reasons why I like to I like to see what they have to talk about each day when I check my inbox, and I think you would find it worthwhile as well. All right, we got to take a very quick break. We'll be back here in just a moment. Got to mention that our show is brought to you in part each weekday at this time by uh, my friend John Staples, who would ask me to tell you about Rio del Sion home lots. This is outside of Zion National Park, and I am. I'm going to tell you right now, having lived in Southern Utah, if there's a more beautiful place on earth, um, I don't know. I know there are a lot of beautiful places out there, but this is one of the most majestic. If you are thinking, hey, we're going to move to Utah, specifically Southern Utah, and you're thinking maybe views of Zion would be something that you would like right there along the Virgin River, go to my show notes at com and click on Rio del Cion home lots for all the information you need.
0: This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, thank you so much
1: for being part of my growing audience. A small favor, if I could ask this of you. If you're finding worthwhile content in the things that I share on this program, if you're a regular subscriber, tell a friend. Share it on social media, pass it along. I understand not everybody is looking for this. Some people are going to think, "Oh, yes, yes, just more more drivel of a particular, you know, political flavor." And that's okay. It's a message not everybody's ready for. We're all somewhere on that journey of you know trying to sort out what is real and what isn't. Well, I'm here to do my part to uh, to help uh, thwart the reality crisis. And if if you know someone who is actively looking for you know, principled discussion of current events with uh, with a little less partisan flavor, tell them about us. I'll thank you in advance uh, for doing so. Oh, by the way, consider also becoming maybe a patron of the show. That's another option. You can find out more at the show notes. I haven't flown a lot in the last year or so. I, I flew to Europe and back uh, for uh, Christmas in 2019. Marvelous experience. I think... Uh, there, there's so much that we all took for granted, right? Before COVID, that uh, you know, I, I I look at back, I look back at that, and I think, okay, that was like a 10 or 11 hour flight each way, and you know, that's a long time to be on an airplane, and it's uncomfortable, and you know, it's 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 a relatively short flight when you're doing intercontinental travel, but hey, um, I miss the simplicity of those days. Here we are, just a little over a year later, and I'm already like. I don't know if I want to take another flight. And here's part of the reason why. The TSA, in my opinion, was barely tolerable prior to the age of COVID. But since the age of COVID, and especially in the last couple of weeks where they just got a new mask mandate, a new, new empowerment, um, I don't think I could handle it. In fact, I'm am talking to more and more people. Robin Openshaw, who many people will know as uh, the Green Smoothie Girl, very very po- popular podcaster here in my home state of Utah. Um, she likes to travel too, and she was just noting today on social media how uh, she and her husband, because of the hassle that they faced from the TSA over masks, and I think they were they were actually banned from flying on Delta, you know, for an, any longer. You know, they they actually had a a free all expense paid trip to Mexico. And she says, we're probably not going to take it. We won't do it because the, the hassle of flying and, and what it's like to, to live within it, it's, it's like being a prisoner. It's, it's as close as you're going to be to living as a criminal and, and, you know, having to navigate, you know, the, the prison system with people barking orders at you from every side and rules of stand here. Don't touch that. Don't speak. Look straight ahead. You know, all of this kind of stuff. We are in complete control over you. Here's how James Bovard describes it. The new mask mandate from the TSA. He says the Transportation Security Administration announced last week that it will be fining travelers up to $1,500 for failing to wear a proper face mask. Now, the TSA could also heavily fine people for wearing a face mask improperly and maybe for some other offenses the agency hasn't yet created. He says it's ironic that a federal agency that helped compound the COVID pandemic just captured more arbitrary power over any American citizen who needs to catch a flight. He says the TSA mask mandate was perhaps inevitable, with a new president who portrays forcing people to wear masks as the 21st century of the Emancipation Proclamation. Now, airlines, of course, have a right to require masks of their passengers and to refuse service to customers who refuse to comply, regardless of the studies raising questions on the efficacy of masks. But he says the TSA's new regulations could become another bureaucratic Pandora's box from an agency with a long history of pointlessly vexing Americans. The new TSA regulation mandates masks should fit snugly but comfortably against the side of the face. Okay, so how are they going to check to assure compliance? How will those TSA checkpoint screeners determine this? Will they run their fingers between the mask and the face to assure sufficient tightness, the same way TSA agents are notorious for fondling female travelers' panty liners? Regulations also prohibit masks that do not fit properly, large gaps, too loose or too tight. Will we have a Goldilocks in the Three Bears porridge? Maybe so, maybe not routine here. Any procedure which involves TSA agents pawing travelers' masks boosts the risk of contagion. Kind of does away with the whole idea of this is just for your protection, right? He says the TSA gravely warns that passengers without a mask may be denied entry, boarding, or continued transport. What? The maskless travelers will be ejected at 35,000 feet or what? James Bovard says the Federal Centers for Disease Control issued new regulations for public transit that parallel TSA rules. The CDC specified that face masks can be temporarily removed during flights if wearing of the oxygen masks is needed because of loss of cabin pressure. Now, if the plane hits the ground as a result of whatever problem caused loss of cabin pressure, masks can probably be removed then as well. The Washington Post reported TSA assurances that people subject to the civil penalties will have due process. But will this be another federal facade in which due process is simply a process an agency does? People hit with face mask fines will have the right to an informal conference with TSA. However, specific data will not be available until after all legal proceedings are completed, which could take an extended period of time. That's according to the TSA. Now, James Bovard says, look, we've seen this kangaroo court routine from the TSA before. In 2002, after the TSA covertly concocted a system of fines to punish travelers' bad attitudes, it failed to give people warning or notice, failed to define the key terms, and failed to notify violators of their right to appeal. In an obscure Federal Register notice that 99.99% of Americans never heard about The TSA disclosed that that travelers could be fined or arrested if they said or did or caused, if anything they said or did, caused a screener to turn away from his or her normal duties to deal with the disruptive individual. Now he says the TSA did not clearly define the new crime. Here we go, it's Article 58, anti-Soviet activities, kind of up to the eye of the beholder. TSA spokeswoman Ann Davis told the New York Times in 2004 that the offense included any non-physical situation that in any way would interfere with the screener and his or her ability to continue to work or interfere with their ability to do their jobs. A few travelers realized they could be financially hammered for almost anything that perturbed a TSA screener. Thousands of Americans were hit with fines of up to $1,500, sometimes weeks after their flight. Appointing the, TSGA, the TSA as mask enforcers, he says, is ironic considering the agency's record as one of the world's most notorious hoarders of unused masks early in the pandemic. At a time when healthcare workers treating COVID patients had no reliable masks, TSA held onto a stash of 1.3 million N95 face masks, which it also failed to distribute to its own employees. TSA attorney Charles Klykoff filed a whistleblower complaint charging that the TSA was guilty of gross mismanagement that represented a substantial and specific danger to public health. But as James Bovard says that was the least of the TSA's contributions to the catastrophe, Jay Brainerd, TSA's top official in Kansas, publicly complained last June that TSA agents became typhoid Mary's and contributed to the spread of that virus because TSA senior leadership did not make sure screeners were adequately protected. Brainerd was prohibited by TSA headquarters from requiring agents in Kansas to wear masks. Early in the pandemic, a top TSA official testified to Congress that TSA agents regularly changed their nitrile gloves after patting down passengers. However, several TSA federal security directors at airports nationwide told National Public Radio that the policy had been that gloves are changed between pat-downs only in the specific situation when an alarm is set off. After the NPR's report, TSA announced that passengers would now be allowed to request TSA screeners change their gloves. But would travelers get fined for a bad attitude for suggesting TSA agents change their gloves? James Bovard points out any gynecologist who followed the same grossly negligent policy on changing gloves only if patients requested a fresh pair would soon be out of business. Brainerd said the TSA was guilty of gross mismanagement and failed to take adequate steps to make sure that we were not becoming carriers and spreaders of the virus ourselves. There's a lot more to this article, and I'm going to encourage you, please check it out in my show notes at thebrianhide.show.com. Oh, by the way, there is this quick reminder, too, from James Bovard here. He asks, can the TSA reform its searches and other procedures so its own employees avoid getting denounced as typhoid Marys?" Is social distancing from boneheaded enforcement agents asking too much? He says, alas, it is difficult to expect reasonable policies from an agency that still seems inspired by one of its first mottos. Remember this one? Dominate, intimidate, control. You have no idea how badly I wish I was just making that up. That's that's legit. All right, check it out for yourself. It's in the show notes at thebrianheidshow.com. Thank you again for being part of my growing audience of wrong thinkers. Help us get the word out there. Tell your friends and family and truth seekers where to find this program.